uh, be in the book of Philippians this morning. Philippians chapter 4 is where we will be this morning. So if you want to turn there, uh, this particular chapter of the Bible that we're looking at is a, it's a great reminder, it's great instruction about one key topic, which is about having the peace of God, having the peace of God. I'm not sure about you, but whenever uh, you turn on the news or you look at your news feed on your social media, there's a lot of things that can take away your peace, especially today. It seems like everywhere you look, there's, there's tur- turmoil, there's, there's war, there's tragedy, there's people, innocent people dying senselessly, and all these things are going on around us. And as Christians, if we're not careful, we will allow the circumstances of this, of this world, we will allow the impact of the things going on around us to steal our peace. And so in Philippians chapter 4, there's a chapter, there's some instruction here on how as Christians, on, on children of God, that regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in, regardless of the, uh, the, uh, the, the things that are going on in our life, that as Christians we can have and we can know the peace of God that's available to us. That's a promise, and, and we've mentioned this before, but if you recall, whenever Jesus was having the Last Supper with his disciples, and he knew he was going to be dying in the next day, uh, and he was going to be leaving them, what was, the, what was the, the promise that he gave them? He said, my peace I leave with you. You know, he could have he given them anything. He could have said, my strength I leave with you. He could have said, my, my power I leave with you. He could have said, my knowledge I leave with you. But what he knew we needed more than anything was peace. And so he said, my peace I leave unto you. Not as the world gives, but as the, as the Father gives. And so in this chapter, in Philippians chapter 4, we see Paul talking about peace of God. And, and Paul wasn't just talking about theoretical peace. He wasn't talking about peace that somebody else had that he had not, uh, he had not experienced. When Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison. That's where he found himself. And in, the, in prison, being and more than likely at this moment, he's probably chained to a Roman guard, a Roman soldier at, the, at this time. He couldn't be left uh, alone at, at any moment. Um, he could have been called to go before Caesar and have his, have his trial heard. And so the soldiers had to be at the ready at all times. And so they were chained to these guys. And Paul, in prison, chained to a soldier, is writing to this church in Philippi saying, I want you to have the peace and understand and know peace like I have peace. Paul uh, certainly had many other um, uh, opportunities to maybe uh, lose peace. And, and, and peace, is, peace is taken from us whenever we, whenever we experience conflict. That's, what, that's when peace goes. When there's a conflict, uh, I mean, you, could, you couldn't ask for, or not, not, not that we want this to happen, but a perfect example, what you, happen, what you see happening in uh, Ukraine and Russia. There, there's no longer peace there because there's a conflict. What's happening in Israel and Gaza? The peace is gone. Why? Because there's a conflict going on. And the same thing is true inside of our hearts. Whenever we have a conflict, our peace can be taken away. And Paul certainly had a lot of conflicts. Not only was he in prison at this time, but also he was writing because there was a conflict in the church. If you read here in chapter 4, the first couple of verses, Paul says, Therefore, my dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Edoias and beseech Sintaishi that they should be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul is saying, listen, you have a, there's some kind of tension between a couple of members of the church. There's a conflict. And because there's conflict, there's no longer peace. 
And so let's talk about how we can regain that peace. It wasn't just there was conflict in the fact that he was in prison. Paul was experiencing that. It wasn't just that there was a, 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 dif, a, dis, a disagreement in the church. But even uh, Paul, earlier in this book, if you turn back to chapter number 1, in verses 14 through 17, Paul references another conflict that's on his heart that he's, he's troubled about, he's praying about. He says in verse number 14, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set in the defense of the gospel. So Paul is even talking about other conflicts going on, even probably there in Rome is what he's referring to, where he's being imprisoned. And so Paul has um, all these troubles that he could uh, be dwelling upon and allowing to steal his peace and steal his joy. But Paul is writing to this church to tell them that even in the worst of circumstances, in prison, with conflict all around, you can have peace. And how can that be? How can you have peace in this life? We certainly live in a troubled world. We certainly live in a dark world. We certainly live in a world where terrible things happen all around us. And it's hard to escape from being informed of these things sometimes. And if, and if we're not, if we're not, um, if we're not uh, disciplined in how we think, those, those, that peace that God has for us can be taken away. And on top of all that that Paul's dealing with, imprisoned, uh, conflict with the people that he loves, people that are using his imprisonment to, to, to kind of um, elevate themselves. That's what he was talking about there in chapter number one. But also on top of all that, Paul realizes he possibly has a judgment of death hanging over his head. Now, we know if you, if you study church history, what you find is that Paul was beheaded in Rome. And so Paul eventually did uh, die as a martyr. But even, even, with the, even with the thought of, you know what, I could have my head chopped off tomorrow, he still had peace of God in his heart. And how can that be? Well, the first thing I want you to notice here in verses one through nine the first thought that Paul gives to these people is, first of all, worrying, worry is optional. It's an option. You don't have to do it. It's not mandatory. It's not required. It's optional. And I don't know about you, but if I had to pick a life and I could choose what options I wanted, I would turn that one off. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying worrying is an option for a Christian. It's, it's not a good option, but it's an option. You don't have to do it. You're not, you're, not, you're not required. It's not going to be forced upon you. As a Christian, you can choose not to live a life of worry. That's what Paul is saying here in these verses. We'll read these verses here in Philippians. Uh, we'll pick up where we left off. Um, verse number four, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. That word careful is talking about anxiety being anxious. He said, be anxious for nothing, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God and the peace of God. That's what we're talking about this morning. The peace of God, which passeth, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard in me and seen in me do, and the peace of God shall be with you. So Paul is going to be talking to them about how you can live a life of peace and not worry. And how do we do that? Well, first of all, we need to understand what worry is. That word uh, worry, that word, he uses this word careful or anxiety or anxious. 
what it means is it means to be pulled in two different directions. That's whenever we experience worry, right? I have, um, I have uh, the hope of the future of what God has promised for me, right? That's one path I can go down. But on the other hand, I see all the stuff going on in the world around me. And if I am pulled in two different directions, I'll experience worry. The same thing is true inside of every one of our hearts. If we are pulled in two different directions, that's what causes worry in our heart and our lives. And Paul is saying that we don't have to live a life of worry. We don't have to be pulled in two different directions that cause us fear. The, the actual, the, the word worry that we use in our English language, it comes from a root word that comes from the word to be strangled. That's where it comes from. And certainly if you ever, you know, I, I hope maybe, maybe you have experienced times in your life where you've had increased worry. And, and, and I, like, I don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not implying this morning that we just bear our head in the sand. That we, that we wear rose-colored glasses, that we, that we tiptoe you know, through the graveyard and think everything's okay. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that we have to be um, ignorant of things going around us. And certainly, if you've lived very long, you've had moments where you get the phone call at the midnight hour. You get the bad news from the doctor. Those things happen, and, and, and there's no way that you won't maybe feel a moment of worry. But you don't have to live in that state at all times. And if you've ever felt, if you've ever experienced those moments where maybe you've gone for prolonged periods of your life where you had anxiety, um, you, had, you had that tension of being pulled in two different directions. A lot of times we, we describe that feeling as being depressed. If you've ever had that moment in your life, you know that that mental thought, that, that emotional fatigue, it has an impact on your body. It, it physically harms your body. You can look it up. There have been a lot of research and study done. I'm no doctor, okay? Uh, I, my experience of medical um, information is I watched ER when I was a kid growing up in the 90s. That's about it. That's about the extent of my medical knowledge, okay? But if you look it up, what you'll find is that people that live a life of heightened stress or long periods of depression, it has a physical toll upon our body. It causes headaches. It causes neck pain. It causes back pain. It causes ulcers. It causes insomnia. It causes high blood pressure. It lowers your immune system. And I wonder how many people in this world are just shoving in drugs in their mouth, trying to treat the symptoms but never get to the root issue, which is worry. Now, once again, look, if you have high blood pressure, I'm not telling you don't take your medicine. Okay, take your medicine, all right? What I am saying is, though, as a Christian, sometimes we should determine, are these, are these symptoms I'm feeling as a result of a spiritual issue or a physical issue? And if it's a spiritual issue, we can do something about that through trusting God. And so uh, Paul is encouraging them to not give in to this, this temptation of being an anxious, of being worried about things, of, of being pulled in two different directions. This is, those are the, 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 the physical definitions of what worry is. Those are the, if you look it up in the Webster's Dictionary. But what's the spiritual definition of worry? It's either not thinking the right way or not trusting the right way. That's what causes worry for the Christian. We're not thinking the right way. We're not seeing things the way that God sees them. We're not, we're not thinking about things the way that we should according to the word of God. And so we have the wrong thoughts and it results in the wrong feelings. And that's where worry comes from. Worry is a feeling and that feeling comes from our thoughts. A thought comes into our mind, we dwell upon that thought and it causes anxiety in our heart. And we have worry, we're nervous, we're pulled in two different directions. And we're worried about circumstances, we're worried about people, we're worried about things. And Paul is going to remind these believers and a reminder to us as well that we don't have to live a life of anxiety and worry. There is a solution. And what is that solution for us? 
He says here in verse number six, be careful for nothing, but in everything, or I'm sorry, verse number five, let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's a, that's an important word when it says that we will be kept by Jesus Christ. That word kept there, it means to be guarded. It means to almost be a, a garrison, you know, it's completely surrounded. Uh, it means to be um, under lock and key. What Paul is saying is that Christ can keep us. He can watch over, he can protect, he can guard us from these feelings of worry and anxiety. And that as a Christian, we can be kept close by finding our security in Christ. By finding our security in Jesus Christ. And where does it begin? It begins with the right kind of praying. The right kind of praying. There's no better place to start if you feel worry and anxiety than prayer. That's where we should take, when we have those feelings, those emotions of I'm worried about this, I'm concerned about this, I'm anxious about this, what am I supposed to do? This is a real issue in my life, I can't just forget and ignore it. And I agree, you can't. And sometimes there are real issues you have to deal with. What's the right response for a Christian? We should pray. But we should pray the right way. And Paul uses some, Paul uses some, he uses some, uh, some, uh, some uh, language here to help us understand what is the right way to pray. He says, first of all, be careful for nothing. In verse, at the beginning there, verse number six, be careful for nothing. What Paul is saying is, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. It, what he means by that is, uh, you know, uh, well, a lot of times we, we will be in a situation where we'll think, well, this is just a small little thing. I don't, need to, I don't need to pray about it. I know what to do. I can take care of this. I've done this before. I don't need to pray. It's a small thing. I don't want to waste God's time with this silly prayer that doesn't mean anything. It's just a personal little thing I need help with, but it's not that big a deal. I'm, I won't take it to God. The problem is those little things become big things. That's the issue. Those little things that we think aren't that big or we can take care of it or we've done this before. I know how to solve this problem. I've seen this before. We, we, we neglect to take God the little things. And what Paul is saying is don't be anxious or worried or, or careful for anything. It doesn't matter if it's big or small. Take it all to God. Take all those things to God and everything. Don't waste time worrying about those things, whether they be small or large. Because he goes on to say here, but in everything by prayer. Everything means everything. Whether you're just trying to find a good parking spot at Walmart, the Lord open up a parking spot. And I've heard even people like criticize Christians that might pray like that. But we're instructed to take everything to the Lord in prayer. Even if it's something simple like trying to find a good parking spot at Walmart. Or it's a big thing like some kind of, you know, doctor's news that's going to be given back to you next week based upon a test result. Regardless of what it is, take it all to God in prayer. If you will be diligent in praying about the little things, you'll be faithful in praying about those large things. And so what is the right way to pray? He uses a couple of different words here to describe. First of all, he says here in, um, in verse uh, number six, he says, but in everything by prayer. And what is the definition of prayer? Prayer, it means to, the definition, that if you looked up in the dictionary, it means to make your request known before the Lord. That's the definition of prayer, to make your request, to bring your petition before the Lord. But there's a, di there's a difference between, you know, if I was to bring my petition to Brother Kuntz, right? I could come to Brother Kuntz and say, Brother Kuntz, I have an issue I need help with. That's not prayer. What's the difference? The difference is who you're directing it to. That's the difference. The difference is you're talking to the Lord. Remember who he is. Whenever you go before the Lord and you're taking your problems to him and you're taking your issues, you're bringing your petition before him, you cannot pray if you're not praying with the right mindset of who you're talking to. What I'm saying is we need to remember before we pray that he is almighty God. 
We should, we should remember the, the reverence we should have towards him, the respect we should have towards him, the power that he holds, the, uh, the, 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 the universe that he maintains. We should, we should have a moment of, of, of wonder. We should have a moment of respect. What I'm saying is when, if, you're, if you come to God and you can talk to him the way that I would talk to Brother Koontz, that's not prayer. If I brought my petition to Brother Roy Rowe the same way I brought it to God, that would not be prayer. Prayer is having, having a thoughtful dialogue with God, knowing who you're talking to. What I'm saying is it should, be, it should involve worship. That's my point. It should involve worship of God whenever we pray, that we know who we're talking to, that he can actually change things, that he actually has the power to do what we need him to do, to fix every problem that you have. He has the power, the ability to do it. And when we go to him, it's not like I'm talking to my dad or I'm talking to some other mentor in my life. I'm talking to God Almighty. And there should be respect and reverence. And if we don't have that, we're not praying. I might as well be talking to Brother Herb. There should be something different about prayer that would go into it with, with um, a reverence for how powerful God is. Because if we understand how powerful God is, we know he can take care of it. Right? If I understand all of God's ability and his power and his wisdom and his providence i know he can take care of it i could go to some other men in this room and i could bring my petition but i don't know if you have the capacity to help me i don't know if you have the, the resources to help me i don't know if you have the ability to help me but god can and prayer is knowing that that's prayer prayer is knowing god can fix this god can resolve this god can change this or god can change me where i can deal with it that's prayer knowing who god is before we speak to him there should be adoration, there should be devotion, there should be worship. And we must remind ourselves who God really is, his greatness, his majesty, and his power. But he didn't just talk about having prayer. He goes on to say, by prayer and supplication. What's supplication? Supplication, if you were to look up that word, it means to earnestly bring your needs to someone else. That's what supplication means. True prayer, true supplication, is whenever I pray to God. There's some you know, significant thing in my life that I'm praying to God about, Lord, would you please help me with this? Lord, I, I'm not sure I can, I can deal with this, Lord. This is beyond my ability to resolve or fix. I can't even understand all, how, how it even begin to start to fix. Lord, I need your help. And true prayer is saying, God, I leave this in your hands. I'm casting my cares upon you, and I'm not going to carry them anymore. If I go to pray and I go to God and I say, Lord, I need your help in this area of my life. There's nothing I can do about it. But when I get through praying, I, I keep that care with me. I didn't pray. Supplication is I'm leaving it with you, Lord. I can't fix this. I can't change. There's nothing I can do about it. Lord, all I can do is pray and leave it in your hands, and I'm going to trust you and your will that it will be resolved the right way, and then I can leave it with God. That's supplication. If I pick up that burden as soon as I get up off my knees, I didn't, I didn't really pray. I just complained. Prayer is, Lord, I'm leaving it with you. I'm trusting you. I'm giving it to you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to leave it in your hands and resolve and take care of. So prayer is coming to God with a sense of worship, with a sense of adoration, with a sense of respect. Supplication is leaving your, your, leaving your cares, casting your cares upon God and not taking them on yourself. And then he goes on to say here in this verse, he says, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. My favorite holiday in all, the, uh, uh, all years is Thanksgiving. Uh, and uh, and I, I enjoy this time of year. And what a reminder for us that we should be a thankful people. Uh, you know, what's, what's the old song? You know, count your many blessings. Angels will attend. Help and comfort give you till your journey's end. If we would just 
thank time, if we would just take time to thank God for all that He's done for us, all the blessings He had upon our life. And listen, if there's ever been a group of people, if there's ever been a group of people that have ever lived in the history of the world that should be thankful, it should be us. Go, go look, look through all the course of time, all the times you could have been alive. Let me tell you, if I, if, if let's just say that God said, hey, John, I'm going to let you pick whatever time you want to live. I'd be like, uh, give me a 2000s, okay? Give, uh, I, like, I like air conditioning. I like modern conveniences. I like, uh, but not just that. I mean, let's get, I mean, let's get serious for a second. It, we're not that far removed from the death rate of infants was like 50%. Not that long ago. Why do people have 15 kids back in the 1800s? Well, because half of them were going to probably die at a young age. Because they didn't have medicine, they didn't have medical advances, they didn't have all the stuff that we have now. Our, our, our life expectancy is longer than it's ever been before. We have access to more convenience than we've ever had before. We're more wealthy than we've ever been before. And we're unthankful? Oh, God forbid. Oh, God forbid that this generation of people not be thankful for God for all that he's done for us. And I haven't even talked about spiritual blessings yet. I didn't talk about salvation or the church or the word of God or the Holy Spirit. I'm just talking about just living in, in, in 2023. We are blessed people. We should be thankful. And if we're really praying, it should be with the spirit of thankfulness towards God. You see, this is what I'm saying is we're worried, we're anxious because we're not praying the right way. We're just complaining to God. That's all we're doing. We're not coming to him with worship and adoration and respect. We're not leaving our problems with him and we're not being thankful for what he has done. Of course we're worried. Of course we're anxious. Of course we feel like we're being strangled because we're not praying the right way. And Paul says you need to pray the right way when you come before God. If you want to live a life of worry and anxiety, then just keep doing what you're doing. But Paul says if you want to live a life of peace and not worldly peace, but the peace of God, it starts with praying the right way. See, Paul wasn't, Paul wasn't, praying and saying, hey, if you pray the right way, God's going to remove you from all the bad things in your life. Because Paul was in a prison. Paul had a death sentence hanging over his head. Despite all that, Paul said, it doesn't matter about my circumstances. What it matters is who am I trusting in? Am I, am I taking my cares to him and leaving it, as his hand, leaving it in his hands? The peace of God shall keep you, shall watch over, shall guard you, shall protect you. This is not a, a promise that there won't be any trials. But this is an assurance that God will be present in your trials. Turn to your Bibles to the book of Daniel. Turn over to Daniel chapter 6. A very popular story that we all learned when we were going to Sunday school. Daniel chapter number 6. This is a story of Daniel in the lion's den. And I want you to notice, I want you to notice here the way that Daniel prayed. Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. The Bible says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his window being open in his chamber towards Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Those are the exact same words that Paul used in Philippians chapter 4. Prayer, supplication, thankfulness. That's exactly what Daniel was doing. Daniel was praying the right way. And you don't think Daniel could have had anxiety? He knew that by doing that, he was, he, was, he was at risk of being thrown into a lion's den. He knew what was at stake, and yet he prayed the right way, and he wasn't worried. Now, what happened at the end of this story? If you continue to read down here in verse number 17, the Bible goes on to say, um, And a stone was brought and laid upon. So Daniel's been taken. He's been thrown into a lion's den. 
The Bible says in verse number 7, And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with his signet of his lords, that the purposes might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the lion's den. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest, continually able to deliver thee from the lions. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent an angel and hath shut the lion's mouth that they may not hurt me, for as much as before him in innocence he was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed his God. So Daniel, certainly, I'm, sh- I'm sure if, if, if one of you found out, hey, guess what, tonight you're going to spend the night in the lion's den, I'm sure we'd be worried. I would be. I'd be anxious. I'd be concerned. But Daniel prayed the right way, and what was the result of it? Daniel slept like a baby, and the king stayed up all night, worried. The king was worried. The king was anxious. The king wasn't praying, but Daniel was. And so we see this example of praying the right way and the peace of God that it gives to you when you do that. Not just praying the right way, but going back to Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8, we don't need to pray the right way. We need to think the right way. We need to think the right way. And what's, and what's, the, what's the Bible say here in verse number 8? Finally, brethren... Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Well, you, you, you will worry yourself to death thinking about the wrong things. Think about all the things you can't control. Think about all the things that are going on around the world. Think about all the things going on inside your own life. You will worry yourself sick if you're not thinking the right way. And wrong thinking leads to wrong feelings and beliefs. If we think about things the wrong way, it will result in what we believe. And so what should a Christian think about? What should be on our mind? What should we kind of fill our minds with? Well, Paul gives us a list of things. He says, whatsoever things are true. Well, and this is so important. I don't know the statistic, and it's probably, it's probably made up anyway. Most statistics are. But I do think there's a lot of truth in this. But like... You know, 95% of the things you worry about never come to pass. You ever heard anybody say that before? That's, I'm not sure what, it, what the number is, but I can tell you firsthand, nights I've spent tossing and turning in bed, worried about stuff that never happened. I can't count how many times that's happened. What Paul is saying is, don't worry about things that aren't even real. You've you got all these, I mean, we all do. We have all these thoughts in our heads about worst case scenario, right? How come every time you get a symptom, the answer is always cancer, right? Every time you feel a little sore in the morning, you're like, oh, it must be cancer, right? That's not true. That's not true. Paul's saying, don't just think about truth. Don't think about false things. Think about true things. Don't get yourself all worked up about things that will never happen. There's an old saying like worry is like a rocking chair. It's a lot of action, but you don't go anywhere. Right? And that's what it feels like. You spend all this time worried about stuff, but it never solves anything. And Paul is saying, spend your time thinking about those things that are true, that are real. This is what's true. I'm saved. This is what's true. I'm headed for heaven one day. This is what's true, that God loves me. Those are the things that are true. This is what's not true. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm going to die some horrible, miserable death of cancer because I woke up with a backache this morning. No, no, that's not true. That's my, that's my imagination. That's my anxiety. That's my worry going in overdrive. 
Paul says, just think about those things that are true. How many lies have we believed that caused us to worry? Why a lot. A whole bunch of lies I've told myself or lies that somebody else has told me. Oh, listen, hey, listen. You, you, you open up your phone and you go to uh, your, your, Google, your Google News or whatever. I've gotten to the point when I, see, when I look at my, this is all propaganda. That's all this is. They're trying to get me to feel a certain way. They're trying to get me to believe something. They're trying to get me to take action on something that may or may not be true. And if we're not careful, we will think the wrong way. We'll, be, we'll believe lies and it'll cause us to worry. And so Paul says, think about things that are true. Don't worry about imaginary monsters in the closet. That we all as a kid, right? Mom, there's a monster in my closet. We don't outgrow that. Just the monster takes different forms. The same fear that you had as a kid in the night about the monster under your bed. Well, you don't believe in the monster in your bed anymore. There's other fears you have. But they're all imaginary. Paul says, think about those things that are true. He goes on to say, think about things that whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. What does that mean? Whatever, what things are honest and just? Honest are things that are uh, honest when he's talking about, he's talking about things that are worthy of respect. Things that are worthy of respect. To, I mean, uh, what we're doing today as far as veterans, that's, a, that's the right thing to think about. Men that sacrifice, sacrificially served. That's an honorable thing. Men that went and served so you didn't have to. Men and women that went and served so I could stay. We should respect them. That's an honorable thing. We should think about those types of things. We should think about things that are honest. Things that are worthy of respect. Not just things that are honest, but things that are just. What does that mean? Things that are right. Things that are right. Things that, things that, um, that, that are, that are, uh, that are, that are before all men, they're up, well, here, going back to veterans, this is another example. Men that show courage. Courage is a, is a right, uh, a right um, behavior for men, to be courageous. And men should be respected for showing courage. And that's a right thing, that's a just thing, that's an honorable thing that we, that we do. And not just when it comes to military, but in every part of our life. To spend our, thing, spend our time thinking about things that are honest and just. And that also means that we don't dwell on dishonorable things. Um, I, you know, I, here again, I'm not talking about as Christians we should bear, bury our head in the sand, right? There's a lot of terrible things going on around us, but I don't need to dwell on those things. I don't need to keep putting those things in my mind again and again and thinking about them. You can ask my wife many times or people will, will approach me or come to me and they'll start talking about some kind of terrible thing that, you know, some kind of terrible, horrendous you know, child abuse situation or something like that. And I'll say, I, stop, I, got, I don't need to hear anymore. And I'm not saying that because I'm burying my head in the sand. It's like, I know that stuff's real. I know it happens all the time. I don't want to fill my head full of it. I want to think about honorable things. I want to think about just things. I don't want to keep filling my head full of things that get me discouraged. You see, if, if you want to live a life of worry, just sit around and think about all the bad things all the time. It's easy. But worry is optional. You don't have to do it. You can choose to think about honorable things and just things. Not just true and honest and just, but it goes on to say here, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report. What is Paul talking about here? When he talks about things that are pure, he's talking about moral purity. Moral purity. And boy, we live in a day and age where they, they, this world will not love nothing more than to tear down every single good moral that we have. 
They're actively trying to destroy good morals. But as Christians, we should dwell upon good things, pure things, things that are lovely. Those are things that are beautiful and attractive. Boy, there's so many good things. And you, well, this is what the Bible says. Uh, Seek and ye shall find. If you're looking for bad, you'll find it all around you. It's not hard. But if you're looking for good, you'll find that too. You can find good. It's out there. God, we have a good God who made a good world and he's, and he's, he's filled it full of good things that we can enjoy. He's made for our pleasure. And it's not hard if you'll just look for it. You can find good things. Sometimes it's just a sunrise. That's a good thing. Uh, the beauty of nature. Maybe a kindness that someone has done for you. Maybe a kindness you've done for somebody else. These are all good things that we can dwell upon and think upon and spend our time and our life doing. And then he goes on to say here in a good report, those things that have a good report. What does that mean? It's things worth talking about. There are some things not worth talking about. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of emotion. Like, like Dallas Cowboys. It's a waste of time, a waste of emotion. Right? Let's talk about things that are worth talking about. About the goodness of God. About salvation. About his promises. Things that are of a good report. Things that are worth talking about. Some good news somebody had in their life. Oh, so-and-so had a baby. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, so-and-so got a promotion. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, somebody else was blessed in some other way. Those are great things. But let's talk about those things. Once again, turn on the news. It's all negative. It's all, it's all, it's all pessimistic. It's all the world is ending. The economy's crashing. It's all bad. It's all bad all the time. And Paul says, let's think about things that are worth a good report. They're worth talking about. And then he goes on to say here, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Virtue are things that should motivate us to change our behavior. Virtue. Uh, uh, you, you, see, you see someone that lives their life in such a way that it inspires you. That's virtuous. Reading the life of Jesus Christ and the way he lived, that's virtuous. These are things that should inspire and motivate us to change our behavior. That's what something that's virtuous is. But he goes on to say not just virtue, but he says if there be any praise. These are things that should motivate us to share with other people. I mean, if you ever, you ever got really great news, you want to tell other people about it. Right? That, that, that's, that's what praise is. It's, hey, I want to share this great news with you. So it's not just things that motivate me to change behavior. It's things that motivate me to share good news with others. So Paul is saying if you want to live a life worry-free... You have to pray right, you have to pray the right way, and you have to think right. In your mind, you have to be disciplined. You can't allow those things to come into your mind that will discourage you and upset you and cause you to feel anxiety and worry. You have to be a gatekeeper of what you allow into your mind. And, and, and you may say, well, Brother John, it's great, I'm not sure where to start. Well, the Bible gives us an answer. Turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 19. Psalms, chapter 19, and verses 7 through 10. You see many of these same words used in Psalms here that, that Paul just used in Philippians chapter 4. Psalms 19 and verses 7 through 10. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making simple the wise. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. 
Brother John, my, my mind, I feel like I just can't control it. It's not discipline. I just, I'm dwelling constantly upon all the negative things and pessimistic things and anxiety uh, and you know, inducing things. What should I do? Go to the Word of God. Go to the Word of God. It will give you peace. It will give you confidence. It will give you security. And until you can, until you can get to a point where you're able to discipline your mind, just fill it full of the Word of God and it will help. Because we should be thinking right as Christians. Thinking about things the way that God thinks about them, from God's perspective. So Paul says, worry is optional. You don't have to do it. But it requires praying right. It requires thinking right. And then finally in verse number 9, Paul says, it also requires living right. In verse number 9, he says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the peace of God shall be with you. So Paul says you have to pray right, you have to think right, and then finally you have to live right. And Paul says even, just use, use me as an example, Paul is saying. He said the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, the way that you've seen me carry myself and conduct myself and live my life, follow that pattern is what Paul said. Learned and received, what does that mean? There's a difference between receiving something and learning something. You could tell me some information. You could tell me, you know, ah, okay. Uh, I've told the story before, but uh, but I will I will tell it again. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of I kind of kind of embarrassing telling myself, but this is this is kind of what happened. I'd moved out of my of my parents' house on my own uh, when I was 17, and I'd moved several hours away to Dallas, Texas. I actually lived in Arlington, and uh, I the the vehicle at the time I had was a 1980 Chevy Love. You guys know what that is? A 1980 Chevy Love pickup. That was, that was the truck that I had. All my possessions in the entire world fit like in the passenger seat of that, of that truck when I moved out of my parents' house. And uh, anyway, I moved uh, several hours away, and I got a job, and I was kind of making it on my own a little bit. Um, and then I had some problem with my, with my truck. It, it stopped running. I couldn't get it to start. And uh, I didn't know much about cars. You, I'm old enough to remember, you guys remember the Haynes Auto Manuals? You buy the AutoZone? Those books that would teach you how to repair your car. We didn't have the internet back in those days. You know, we just had the Haynes car manual, and I wasn't a mechanic. I didn't know how to repair anything, but I knew it wouldn't start, so I knew it was something to do with the electrical system. So uh, I got the alternator test, and the alternator was good. And so then I said, like, well, it must be the battery. I took it to the uh, auto zone. They go, oh, yeah, you got a dead battery. You need to get a new battery. I'm like, okay, perfect. I can get that fixed. So I get the battery, take it back, put it in the truck, dead as a doornail. I mean, wouldn't even so much as give a grunt of anything. Just, and, I, and now I'm like, well, it's probably the ignition, and that's, now you got to start, I don't know how to fix this. And, I, and so I ended up borrowing my cousin's, uh, uh, his vehicle for like two weeks because I couldn't figure out how to fix my truck. But my dad was coming on the way, and I thought, well, man, my dad can fix it. My dad, you know, my dad can fix that stuff. So I wait for my dad to come. And um, so anyway, he came out, and uh, he opened up, he took a look at it for me. So we opened up the hood of that Chevy Love, and uh, I remember he looked down, and it was about five seconds, and he said, uh, John, I think I know what the problem is. I was like, great, let's get it fixed. And my dad said, listen, son, um, I promise if you don't tell anybody about this, I won't tell them either, but you left, your, you left the plastic coverings on the post of your battery. So whenever you buy a new battery, they come with these little plastic covers on the post, like red and black. And I thought, like, red meant, oh, they, they were helping you connect it. So I left the plastic covers over the post, so there was no power getting from that battery to the vehicle. It was like within a minute, my dad turned it off, got a and it was fired up. It was running great. I learned something that day. You can receive something, 
And you may not, like, for example, you guys could give me a gift of, uh, oh, you, somebody, okay, he's not in here. Somebody this Christmas could give me, like, a Philadelphia Eagles baseball cap, and I could receive it, but I will never wear that thing. Okay? I will never wear that thing. But whenever you learn something, you never forget it. I learned something that day. I learned, oh, you got to take the plastic post off those, uh, off those terminals if you want to get your battery connected the right way. There's a, what I'm saying is, as a Christian, it's not about just receiving. When you come to church, you receive a lot on Sunday morning, on Sunday night, on Wednesday night. You learn it Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. How do you live? Paul said, the things that you have learned of me, do. And you'll have the peace of God that passes all understanding uh, in your life. Oh, we're out of time. Oh, boy. Okay. I got to run through the real... Oh, boy, that went fast. I got to run through the last half of this chapter real quick. So worry is optional, right? You don't, you don't have to worry. You can live a worry-free life. But Paul also says the last half of this chapter, contentment is optional. God provides for us a life of contentment. But as a Christian, you don't have to live that life. You can, just, you can live a life of discontent if you desire and so that's what he talks about here in verses uh, 10 through 20. We'll go through this very quickly. Uh, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last uh, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye have also care- uh, you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be uh, abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And so Paul here in this last half of this chapter, we're, we're out of time here this morning, but let me just give you a couple of thoughts here. First of all, in verse number 10, Paul uh, is alluding to the providence of God. Paul is re- referring to these, this church that had been so generous to him. They had given to him. They had sacrificially given him offerings to help him on his missionary journeys. And Paul was referring to that in verse number 10. And what Paul is saying is, I can trust in God's providence that he's got it all under control. That God has has enough supply to meet my needs. He has enough resources to meet my needs. And God can see down the road and he can provide for me. Uh, Whenever some, maybe if you've been on a long road trip and you have GPS on your phone, it will tell you, hey, two hours down the road, there's a there's a road, there's a, a traffic jam, right? That's providence. God knows what's going to happen down the road, and we can trust God. The same way that God and Joseph and his brothers, if you remember that story where Joseph was sold into slavery, and there's, it's a long story, but at the end of it, what does Joseph say? After he was sold into slavery, rejected by his brothers, and his brothers come back to, 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 to ask for forgiveness, what did Joseph say? He said, you meant it to evil, but God meant it for good. That we can trust in God's providence, that all things will work together for good. Not just God's uh, providence, but God's power. He's faithful and he can sustain us. And our our strength must come from him, not from ourselves. What did Jesus say? I'm the vine and you are the branches. See, we're going to get real frustrated, we're going to get real discontented if we try and do things in our own power. What Paul said is we need to trust upon Jesus to meet our needs in his power. And then finally, you see in verses 14 through 20, that there's a promise that he gives in verse number 14 through 20. Notwithstanding, ye have done well, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians uh, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again into my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that I may abound on your account. 
But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Aphrodite the things which were sent from you, and an odor of sweet smell, a sacrificial, uh, a sacrifice acceptable, well pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so finally, He gives us a promise that God would meet the need. And He goes on to say here, uh, um, He said, "You you bless me with a little, God's going to bless you with a lot." You help me a little bit, God's going to help you greatly. That was the message that Paul had for these, for these people. And here's the message for us. If, if we're praying right, if we're living right, if we're thinking right, we can live a worry-free life. And if we will trust in God's power, in God's providence, in God's promises, we don't have to have anxiety. We can live a contented life. And here's the challenge for us in America in 2023. We can be abased. We, we know how to be abased, right? You lose your job, you, you cut the budget, you get close to God, you start coming to church, you pray, you're closer to God than you've ever been before when you go through hard times. For us, the question is, can we be content whenever things abound? Whenever things are going good? Whenever things seems like it's going all right? In those moments, can we be content or do we have to have more? Well, I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more. And Paul says, I've learned to be content whether I'm abased or whether I abound. And if we live that life, we can live a, the option is yours. Worry-free life or a life full of worry? A life of contentment or a life of discontentment? It all comes down to, are we praying right? Are we thinking right? Are we living right? Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would, uh, on this special day, as we uh, honor those that have sacrificed, Lord, you would help us to be thankful for all that we have. Uh, Lord, all that you've done for us, not be people that are filled with worry and anxiety, people that are discontented and, and concerned about the future, but Lord, we would trust you. We do pray for the servants to come be with our pastors. Use them in a mighty way. In Christ we pray. Amen.